even if they aren't living in a tiny house, right? A lot of people got forced to live tiny in general, you know, all across um, the world. And there was a desire, I think, for so many people to have some nature indoors. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 166 with Leslie Halleck. I was really excited to invite Leslie on the show because she has just published a book called Tiny Plants, uh, Discover the Joys of Growing and Collecting Itty Bitty Houseplants. And I just knew I had to have her on to talk about plants that you can bring with you into your tiny house lifestyle. I had no idea that this was even a thing, so I'm really excited to share this conversation. Leslie is a super outgoing and knowledgeable guest, and she actually brought plants for show and tell. And so members of Tiny House Engage were able to actually watch our interview stream live. But she has also sent me some photos of the plants that we talked about in this episode. So if you want a visual on the things that we covered, you can check out the show notes for this episode, which is going to be thetinyhouse.net slash 166. I hope you stick around. I want to tell you about something that I think will be super helpful as you plan, design, and build your tiny house. Tiny House Decisions is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It comes in three different packages to help you on your unique tiny house journey. And if you're struggling to just figure out the systems for your tiny house, you know, like how you're going to heat it, how you're going to plumb it, you know, what construction technique are you going to use, like sips or stick framing or steel framing. Tiny House Decisions will take you through all these processes systematically and help you come up with a design that works for you. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions. For listeners of the show, you can head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD to learn more and use the coupon code TINY at checkout for 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY for 20% off. All right, I am here with Leslie Halleck. Leslie is a certified professional horticulturist who has spent her nearly 30-year career hybridizing horticulture science with home gardening and houseplant enthusiast needs. Leslie runs her own company, Halleck Horticultural, and is a UCLA Extension Horticulture Instructor and the author of several books, including Gardening Under Lights, Plant Parenting, and her latest release, Tiny Plants. Most importantly, she's a big plant geek. Leslie Halleck, welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk tiny yeah, today. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, you know, anytime I see somebody who's like writing or talking about something tiny, especially if it's something that could go in a tiny house, I'm like, I gotta, gotta have them on the show. No, I was just going to say, I, I don't think anything is sort of a better companion than sort of tiny living, tiny houses and tiny plants. It really is kind of the perfect combination. So I'm glad we found one another. Me too. Me too. So I, I wasn't, to be honest, I was not aware that tiny plants were even a phenomenon until somebody approached me about doing an interview for another podcast that is about plant or that yeah humans growing things a podcast that's about plants 
um, to talk about tiny plants. And I ended up roping in my brother who works for a nursery in Portland. But anyhow, you were on the same show. And I, that was the first I had really heard of tiny plants. So can you tell me about like the background of, of the tiny plants phenomenon? Well, I mean, I think in terms of a, of a trend or a phenomenon, I'll take a little bit of responsibility for directly pushing that on everyone <laughs> because I was personally, I have a penchant for petite plants um, and an affinity for alliteration. Um, <laughs> but I, I will, yes, I do. I do tend to push it. I have an origin story. Um, if you, if you get a copy of my new book, Tiny Plants, I preface the book with sort of the origin story of, of how I came to become obsessed with itty bitty plant species. And I, and I want to be clear that in this book and, and in terms of what I'm talking about when I talk tiny plants, I'm not talking about artificially managed plant species, right? Like us through human intervention, keeping them small. I'm talking about genetically natural itty bitty tiny plant species that that coexist with much larger plant mm -hmm. species out in the natural environment and just like we do with traditional tropical house plants there are all sorts of itty bitty tiny species that one can cultivate indoors just on a much much smaller scale but they're often overlooked and i think when the pandemic hit and everybody was sort of forced inside confined in small spaces, you know, even if they aren't living in a tiny house, right? A lot of people got forced to live tiny in general, you know, all across the world. And there was a desire, I think, for so many people to have some nature indoors. And hence a new cycle of houseplant craziness yeah. has ensued. You know, those cycles come and go and we're in another one right now. But for folks that have discovered that those philodendron and monstera get massive in size, much bigger than they thought they would, they're getting crowded out by their plant collection now. So tiny plants are really kind of the perfect solution to whether you live in a tiny space or you want to keep growing a collection, but you're out of room because of your bigger plants. Tiny plants are the perfect way to grow. I love it. So I want to, I want to dive into, to that more, what, you know, what tiny plants and where, but what, what are some examples of, of larger plants that can be kept artificially small? Can you do that to any old house plant or are there only certain ones? Well, sure. So I think that most people are familiar with the concept of bonsai, sure. right? Which is really the art form of miniaturizing traditionally shrubs and trees, right? Artificially in very small, shallow containers and pruning them very aggressively over years to sort of create mimic, right? A, mm -hmm. a large outdoor species and specimen in a, in a small contained environment. So that would be one way that we artificially keep plants small, just general pruning, right? You can just prune plants continuously, which is kind of like bonsaiing them to, to keep them small and compact. When you get into the commercial world, you get into things called growth regulators, right? Those are chemicals that you can spray on plants to essentially inhibit their their natural growth mm -hmm. habits. You can keep plants temporarily, sometimes permanently, artificially small through those means. So, you know, those are not the types of plants I'm talking about in in my book. I'm talking about 
naturally miniature plant species, right? That this is how they grow in nature. Um, this is how you find them in nature. So certainly you can prune down all sorts of plants, but in reality, there's only only so much you can prune back that big philodendron or monstera. It's still a big leafed foliage plant. You know, it's only so small that you can keep it. Yeah. However, there are miniature species of philodendron, very tiny that probably most people have never seen or heard of. So you, if you're into aeroids and you're into some of the bigger cool tropical plants, but you want them on a smaller scale, that's what I'm trying to introduce you to in this book. Awesome. So where, where can people go to find these, these tiny plant species? Because I'm guessing that since you said they're often overlooked, maybe they're a little bit harder to buy in your local garden center. Yeah, for sure. I think that if you read the preface in the book, I talk about sort of my jungle work and travels and and research that I was doing that sort of led me to to stumble upon some micro orchids, which are a particular fascination for me. And from that, I started building a lot of terrariums and vivariums. I kept uh, poison dart frogs and many other herbs for many years. And so when you keep those types of animals, you build really specialized environments that we call vivariums. And you have to start searching for tiny plant species that work for those species of animals and in those small contained environments. And where you find yourself shopping and hunting are with growers that are sort of outside the traditional garden center plant vendor world, Mm -hmm. if you will. Not to say that you won't find tiny plants at your local garden shop or plant shop. Most of those you will will be cacti, which are very popular. Right. And there's lots of tiny species that I, I talk about. Those will be easy for you to find. But when you start getting into the tropicals, the higher humidity species, ferns, orchids, you have to search a little bit harder, which I think is part of the fun. You know, the hunt for these cool plants is part of the fun. But one of the things I've done in the book, in the back, in the resource section, has actually introduced you to a lot of my favorite specialty vendors that grow and sell really itty bitty tiny plant species from foliage ferns to aquatics to micro orchids. Because if you're shopping sort of in the general plant world, you're not going to find a lot of these plants. So getting out into some of the aquatics vendors, the varium vendors, you know, places like that are where you're going to find some of these really cool tiny plant species that you've probably never seen before and you've probably never seen offered at your local garden center right. or plant shop. I, I have a memory as a, as a kid, I don't know, maybe I was seven or six and I, somebody gave me a tiny little cactus plant that I kept on my windowsill. And I think I got bored with it because I was disappointed <laughs> that it wasn't growing very quickly. <laughs> Right. Actually, I have a, and for, for those uh, listeners who actually so go online and, and look at the video, there is, here's a really tiny Haworthia, one of my favorite, and this is actually a pretty large colony of Haworthia. And this is about as big as it gets. And so, yeah, if you're looking for plants that are going to grow super fast and ramble, mm-hmm. obviously your teeny tiny succulents and, and teeny tiny tropicals aren't going to do that. But if you don't have a lot of space and you have a corner of a desk or a tiny windowsill in a tiny home that gets bright light, a tiny succulent like this is perfect because it's never going to outgrow its space. Right. It's going to, so that's going to stay in that little pot kind of forever. Yes. 
indefinitely. I could divide it and and split it up into new pods. Eventually, as that as this cluster for those that are are viewing, you know, it it will kind of start to shit out of this. When I know it, I can split it, divide it, propagate it. Mm-hmm. Which I I have a book on propagation, plant parenting. You can check that out. Um, that goes into all of that. Okay. Yeah, I have that one here. So if you're into propagation, plant parenting, I show you how to divide succulents, which would be the same procedure, whether it's a tiny plant or, or a bigger one. But yeah, that's that's going to live pretty much indefinitely in that size container. So it's pretty handy if you don't have a lot of room. Awesome. So thinking about the setting of a tiny house, you've got, right. you know, a two to 400 square foot home with probably a lot of windows. So a lot of natural light, but probably not a lot of like counter or not a lot of spare horizontal storage space. Right. Um, can you talk about how to creatively kind of fit these plants into places where you maybe don't have a spare corner of a desk because your desk is like multifunction. It's got to fold down when you're not using it, that kind of thing. Right. So I think, it, you know, in terms of, of pots that you might want to sit down, you know, on a, on a tiny windowsill or, or any little area that you have that's a surface area, the great thing about a lot of these tiny plants is uh-huh. the relative size of their pots. I mean, many of these plants I grow in one inch containers, mm-hmm. one to three inches. I think three inch, two and a half inches about is about the maximum. So, you know, you can have, you know, a great little fern. Here's what I'm showing on the video, you know, in a two inch pot that is pretty leafy, doesn't take up much space at all. And many of my tiny plants, you know, grow in one inch pots. You don't, you barely need any space for a lot of these plants, but you can also grow vertical. So a lot of these plants can be hung. So kind of a great solution for that. If you have a lot of windows and and a lot of diffuse bright light, Maybe not quite enough for a lot of succulents. That is the challenge that most indoor growers run into with succulents and cacti is that, you know, without a good five hours of direct sunlight, it can be tough to maintain those. But a lot of bright diffuse indirect light is perfect for most foliage plants and a lot of tiny gizneria like African violets and begonias. And you can hang those tiny pots. I don't know, you know, if you're if you're into tiny houses and tiny living, I suspect that some of you may also be um, avid DIYers. I make my own little, you know, macrame or whatever wire plant hangers all the time. And you can retrofit any little, you know, hanger or you can make one to actually go vertical mm-hmm. with your tiny plants. And to even make it easier, you could certainly even get into air plants or Tillandsia, which I don't really cover a lot in this book because there's so many other great Tillandsia books, but that's a really easy way to, is to grow vertical. So, you know, if you've got some areas that you can hang some things in front of a window, that's perfect. Nice. You, you hit on something I, that it's actually a great thing to, to ask about, which is DIY and repurposing. Um, yeah. Because that is a big part of the tiny house movement especially for people who are building their own houses. Do you have any kind of creative um, ideas for what you can put your tiny plants in? I mean, beyond, you know, your obvious like an extra mug that you have laying around or something like that. What are, what are some creative things you've seen? Well, that's sort of one of the great parts about growing tiny is that you can repurpose so many different things. I mean, down to really the size of a thimble. 
you can reuse to grow like a lot of micro syningia that I grow are so tiny. The root system is so small. All you need is a little something the size of a thimble. So really any vessel that you have, you know, can be used to grow many tiny plants. I mean, like you said, whether it's an old, you know, tiny, you know, coffee cup or, you know, a discarded um, little bowl, you know, broken pottery, um, you know, reclaimed wood. There's just so many ways that you can use materials. And I, I, and you'll see some of that in, in the book. I also, I have a problem acquisition problem with uh, vintage glassware. (laughs) So you'll see that a little bit reflected, you know, in the book, but the cool thing about like, for example, growing under glass, like here's an example of a little microgram of fern that I, I keep in a pot that just grows in this little glass jar. I also use canning jars. Like that's a great thing to repurpose are just, you know, jelly jars, canning jars. I keep a lot of tiny plants inside or covered with just a, a glass or canning jar. So there's a lot of dishware or glassware that you just may already have that you can repurpose for keeping a lot of these tiny plants in high humidity, you know, conditions or or to create vessels with drainage. Certainly doesn't take as much resources as bigger, bigger plants. You don't necessarily have to buy big expensive pottery. So there's tons of things you can use. Nice. So some people travel quite a bit in their tiny homes, um, particularly people who are doing, you know, vans or school buses. Mm-hmm. What are some plants or are there any p- tiny plants that are maybe better than others if you are traveling a lot? And so the light isn't always going to be consistent. Temperature could change quite a bit. Do you have any suggestions there? Yeah, I mean, I think if if that's the situation, it also depends on the kind of light and windows that you have. If if it's variable or maybe you don't have as many windows, you're in a van situation, then you're definitely want to go with lower light specimens, right? So, you know, you're probably not going to want to dive into full sun highlight succulents, for example, you know, because that's going to take a lot more light. So you're going to want to stick with lower light foliage. So so if you look in the book, I, I kind of split up the, the plant profiles that I gave you into windowsill versus under glass. So the plants I give you that are for the windowsill are going to be the easier plants to care for mm-hmm. generally, right? They're not going to be as sensitive to humidity. They can dry out more. They'll be a little bit more tolerant of very light conditions, especially the foliage. You know, the non-blooming species are right. just not going to need as much light. So yeah, some of the succulents that I gave you, like Haworthia, like that little Haworthia that I showed you, that is actually one succulent that is pretty low light tolerant. And so I would say that Haworthias in general would probably be one of the perfect sort of groups of succulents that are super easy to care for. If you're a forgetful waterer, they can go for a long time without water, but they tolerate more water than many other succulents. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to kill them with overwatering, like a lot of your other cacti, and they'll tolerate low light. So I would say if I just kind of had to pick one genera, one genus of plants or hybrids or cultivars thereof, Aworthias are kind of perfect for that situation. Cool. And are they are they hard to find? No, actually... Because succulents and cacti have been so popular yeah. uh, in the last 10 years, 
there are tons of vendors and you'll find in the book, I recommend there's a, there's a few succulent specific vendors that I recommend. And you will find that Haworthias also have had a real boom in popularity the last few years. So you're going to be able to find tons of varieties, many species of Haworthia of different size ranges, many natural varieties, as well as many cultivars. There are quite a few hybrids between you know, aloes and Haworthias. There's another genus called Haworthiopsis. Those are really great. So that's probably a really great place to start for anybody that's tiny home, especially mobile, is check out all the tiny Haworthias because I think that those are going to be some of the easiest to care for. They're also incredibly small. So you're really looking at those one to two inch pot sizes. It's kind of all you ever need. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Tiny House Decisions, my signature guide and the resource that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It starts with the big decisions, which is, you know, should you build a tiny house yourself or with help? Um, is a is a pre-built shell a good idea? Um, is a house on wheels better than on the ground and what works better for you? Um, deciding on the overall size, deciding on whether you should use custom plans or pre-made plans different types of trailers, and more. Uh, then in, the, in part two, we get into the system. So heat, water, showers, hot water, toilets, electrical, refrigeration, ventilation. And we're only two-thirds of the way through the book at this point. From systems, we go into construction decisions, talking about nails versus screws, sips versus stick framed versus advanced framing versus metal framing. Uh, we talk about how to construct a subfloor, sheathing, roofing materials, insulation, windows, flooring, kitchen. I know I'm just reading off the table of contents, but I just want to give you a sense of how comprehensive Tiny House Decisions is. Uh, it's a total of 170 pages. It contains tons of full-color drawings, diagrams, and resources, and it really is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions using the coupon code TINY when you head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. That's THD for Tiny House Decisions. Again, that's coupon code TINY when you check out at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. So one thing, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this because I'm, I, don't, I don't know this firsthand, or I guess I've seen articles, okay. I've seen like news stories talking about how the explosion in like air plants and all these like tropical plants is resulting in, you know, like habitats and environments being kind of strip mined for their air plants or kind of just impacted heavily. Um, how I, I never thought I would ask, like, how can I make sure that my, my house plants were ethically sourced? <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. Plant poaching is a thing. And that's what we call it. And so it really kind of, I think, came, well, I mean, there have been many cycles of this throughout history, right? Of mm -hmm. natural landscapes being ravaged of plants, orchids, you know, anything that becomes popular, you know, explorers have harvested, over harvested. Um, and, and that's true across many plant segments. I would say in the last 15 years or so suck with the boom in succulents and cacti has really put a lot of pressure on natural environments. California, you'll find has a really big problem with plant poaching uh, with native succulents and cacti being harvested. So, you know, you're really looking for growers who 
ethically source their plants and grow their own plants. They're not harvesting in the wild. Uh Now, with a lot of the aeroids that have become really popular, philodendrons, monstera, you know, anthuriums, all of those kinds of plants, this has become big business in, you know, Southeast Asia. So there's a lot of plant poaching now going on there. So I would say be careful with who you buy from. Do your research check them out, send them an email and ask them, you know, where do you get your, how do you source your plants and are you propagating and growing your own or are you, you know, harvesting? It really, the same thing goes with reptiles and herbs, right? If you're keeping any sort of pets like that, the same goes, you know, you want to make sure that these are not wild collected animals, right? right? That these are captive bred, that conservation is a part of that business model. Right. So. Yeah, you know, you want to make sure that the folks you're buying from are not harvesting. So I will say in in the current plant boom, there's a lot of people going overseas for their plant purchases. That is where you're going to be taking that risk. So I would suggest buying domestic, mm-hmm. right? And and there are also a lot of growers shipping plants from overseas that are not necessarily taking care with biosecurity. So diseases and pests, you know, can come in on those plants. And that's actually a really big problem. Right. So, you know, be thoughtful about how you buy, you know, buy local, buy domestic for the most part, and just do a little bit of research on that vendor. Yeah. You don't want to be the person bringing in the like Dutch elm disease of, uh, of tiny plants. Yeah. And and I'll say, and I will say this sort of, again, the new houseplant boom has brought about a lot of new hobbyist growers that are just growing and selling out of their houses. And many of them are are simply just not experienced or aware about those things. And, you know, don't realize they have to have a a license. You have to, depending on what state you're in, you need something like a nursery floral license. And that means the USDA can inspect your nursery stock. They can inspect your business anytime they want. And that's for a reason, you know, that's so we can cut down on transmission of a very destructive diseases that could be a problem for agricultural crops. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to be informed about all those things for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for filling us in. And there are real parallels there to the tiny house industry where there has also been a huge boom and there are a lot of, you know, a lot of builders who are building tiny houses who not all kind of know what they're doing. Well, I I think that is anytime something becomes popular, right? All of a sudden you get a lot of newbies flooding into the market Mm -hmm. who may or may not be offering, you know, product in a way that is backed up with a lot of experience and knowledge or maybe the right type of certifications or the right licenses. So, I mean, it's, this is living material that can impact any natural environment. You have to be careful about invasive species. So yeah, you have to do your research, learn about the plant you're buying, who you're buying it from, just like you would if you're trying to be sustainable and responsible when you're building a home or a tiny house Mm -hmm. or anything really. Well, one thing that is cool about the DIY spirit of the tiny house movement is that people can really customize their homes, um, you know, to suit their interests and activities. Like I've seen a few different tiny homes that have climbing wall features, either inside or outside, um, you know, tiny houses that have a jacuzzi tub because the person loves taking (laughs) baths or or things like that. So I'm curious uh, if you, Leslie, 
I don't know what your feeling about tiny home living is, but if you were forced to live in a tiny home, would there be what what special features would you insist were built into that home to support your plant parent lifestyle? My plant parent lifestyle, my plant uh, habit. Well, so I would probably take cues from some of the things I have done in my not tiny house which is basically growing vertical. I have reclaimed a lot of things like duster pallets and whatnot to build uh, integrated wall shelves with lighting in them. You know, low profile, small wall shelving that fits in my kitchen that I actually have grow lighting mounted in. Mm. So it doesn't take up a lot of space. It grows vertical, but it allows me to grow some things in a very small space near my kitchen. So that's, I would probably look at creating some vertical wall units that were, you know, shallow, low profile, but that I could put in grow lighting that would allow me to grow tiny plants or herbs, you know, that are within a, within reach, right. From, from the kitchen or that just, you know, augmented the space visually. So I would be, I would definitely be looking at sort of how to pocket plant my tiny house, if you will, by using wall space, creatively ceiling space, creatively, and then probably what I would do if I was going to get a little more technical would be maybe to use a small sliver of space that might be refrigerator space as a little bit of a growth chamber, you know, a great way to grow microgreens and things like that in a tiny artificial environment. So I would probably focus on some of those things. Cool. And that actually, you've brought up a great point that I hadn't even thought of is that you know, these tiny plants don't necessarily just have to be aesthetic. They can also be for eating. Sure. Sure. I mean, yeah, you can, you know, this in, in tiny plants, they wanted me to focus specifically on house plants, right? right? Cause it's such a huge top and I was limited on space in this book. Right. So, I mean, I could have gone on forever, but yeah. it's a, a tiny book on tiny plants. And so I had to limit my plant choices, but certainly there are I mean, there's so many thousands of teeny tiny plant species, you know, thyme, the herb, thyme is a great example. Yeah. There's some incredibly micro varieties of thyme that, you know, don't even grow barely an inch. I mean, you know, not even a half an inch tall yeah. can be kept in very small pots. So low profile shelving with some grow lighting. I mean, you can maintain very, some small culinary plants as well. Yeah. There's a lot of new micro veg out on the market. Micro veg what I call micro veg. So I'm an intensive indoor grower, right? So my other book, <laughs> Gardening Under Lights, I go way into that for anybody who's looking to grow intensively indoors. Okay. I go into lighting and grow lighting. And the, you know, the challenge with growing edibles indoors is often their size, right? You know, tomatoes are big plants, you know, I mean, you know, peppers can be big plants, eggplants are big. And so in the last few years, there's tons of new dwarf cultivars that stay tiny micro tomatoes that are under eight inches tall, you know, tiny peppers, um, tiny micro basil. So you can also pocket plant with grow lighting mm -hmm. in a tiny home with micro veg and herbs. Cool. Now, so I've seen, I feel like I've seen advertisements for little kits or like their little tiny grow setups that come with some starter sure. seeds and you can grow like some herbs in your kitchen. Are there any of those that you recommend? Up until recently, you know, most of the, okay. There's a lot of false advertising around a lot of those. Anytime you see one of those grow units that's 
got LEDs and it's generally about 20 watts or less. Mm -hmm. And there's the image has like these big beefy tomato plants with a bunch of ripening fruit on it. That is photoshopped. (laughs) (laughs) So the reality is there's just not enough light quantity that's going to be generated from a unit like that Mm -hmm. to achieve those results. Now, I would say in the last year or so, there've been a lot of improvements in output for LED grow lighting. And some of these units are now starting to put out a higher quantity of light, which can better support fruiting, right? So leafy greens and herbs Mm -hmm. don't need as much light quantity as something that fruits. So, you know, lettuce and leafy herbs are much easier to grow in those types of contained grow units. So I would say, I would say they're getting much better. But up until now, I could pretty much look at most of them and say, not enough light, not enough light, not enough light. You know, plants are going to be leggy. They're not going to fruit, you know, so you're really looking for a higher output of light quantity, essentially. And then, you know, matching that with what you're trying to grow. Are you growing leaves? Are you trying to grow fruit? Right. So I dive way more into that, into gardening under lights. If you really want to geek out on that, Uh, it's a big topic. But yeah, I I would say that if you're going to buy a new self-contained grow unit with grow lights, a little small countertop unit, you're safe growing some leafy greens, you know, some lettuces, some small herbs, um, maybe try the micro dwarf basil. You could even try some of the, like the micro Tom tomato, tiny, tiny cherry tomatoes. Don't try to grow big, (laughs) you know, um, slicing tomatoes in those. Yeah. Well, the cherry tomato plants can get huge too. Yeah. So you have to, you have to look for the micro tomatoes, micro tomatoes, not even just dwarf, but look for micro tomatoes. And there's quite a few new cultivars out on the market now. So if you're going to do that, stick with the micro tomatoes, miniature vegetables, miniature basil, because basil, you know, they always show those in those units, but the basil always outgrows the size of those self-contained units. They want to flower really bad. Yeah. And so, and they just outgrow and then the foliage gets burned because it's touching the light. So you got to stay tiny. Okay. You got to have your own little bonsai garden of basil. Pretty, yeah, micro, everything. I mean, those (laughs) tiny house tiny growing unit, tiny plant varieties. <laughs> so would, would your book Growing Under Lights kind of teach me how to um, start growing microgreens on my counter? Yes. Cool. All right. Yes. Well, yeah, I, I go in Gardening Under Lights. I, 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 I'm going to dive into some plant science 101, which all of my books do. Mm-hmm. So I always try to teach some plants science so that you understand the why behind what how plants are growing and what mm-hmm. it is that you have to mm-hmm. do. So I'm going to teach you all about how plants use light. I'm going to teach you all about how to understand artificial grow lighting. And then I I outline a bunch of different crops, edible and ornamental in the book and, and how to grow those. Yeah. Cool. And there's info on microgreens as well. Cool. Do you have a favorite plant? Ah this is always the worst and best question, right? Because <laughs> as a professional horticulturist, how can I pick just one plant? And on any given day, my answer might change, right? From one day to another, I might have a different favorite plant. In terms of tiny plants, I love living stones, mm-hmm. uh, lithops. 
um, super cool, super cute. And I'm a little partial to them. There's a lithops Leslie eye. So I, I have my namesake plant and I, ah. I have, I have seed that I have of all different, uh, varieties of lithops Leslie. I, I love micro orchids, you know, but I mean, gosh, it's so hard to pick. I love so many different plants. So it's, it's, it's tough to choose. Ooh. Yeah. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to press you to choose, but that was, that's a good answer. <laughs> it's like, which kid is your favorite? Right. All of them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I love, I mean, I, I call myself an everythingist. I love everything. You know, I, I am a, I'm a huge outdoor gardener. It's funny. All of my books, central, you know, our kind of central theme is indoor gardening techniques. That's, that's what the publishers have come to me and asked me to do. My master's degree is in indoor greenhouse production, environmental controls. So that's a natural fit, but I'm an intensive outdoor horticulturist and, and gardener. I'm a big vegetable gardener. I keep chickens, bees, fruit trees, perennials, roses. I mean, I grow everything. So I am the opposite of a horticultural snob. There is nothing that's off limits to me. I love everything. I grow everything. And you go through phases. Yeah. You know, of different things that you like. I mean, I've gone through 100 orchid phases. I've gone through bonsai phases. I've gone through vivarium building phases. I've gone through obsessive rose collecting phases, uh, bulbs. I've had a huge bulb problem, you know. So, I mean, on any given month or year, I have sort of a new rotation of plant obsessions and tiny plants. I just kind of felt like, it was prime time with kind of the last year and a half and everything that's gone on and everybody's sort of, you know, living in more confined ways and, and potentially more mobile, yeah. like wanting to be more mobile that growing tiny is really a way that you can still live with nature and keep growing, but do it on a scale that works for you, you know, small or mobile. Nice. Well, Leslie Halleck, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. This was really fun. I, I learned a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm diving into your blog. I'm actually looking at um, some land off and on myself and trying ah. to decide, do I want to buy a house or do I want to build a tiny house? So I'm definitely going to dive more into all of your blog and your content and maybe bug you with some tiny house questions yeah. and you can bug me with tiny plant questions. Get in, get in touch. <laughs> Whatever you need. I guess my advice is don't build anything right now if you can, right. if you can wait because the cost of building materials is insane. Have have the cost Got of it. plants gone up during the pandemic? Um, the plants, yes. The cost of plants definitely have there's a supply chain issue as well. Yeah. So supply and distribution, it's kind of put pressure on everybody across the spectrum. Yeah. And so yeah, plant shortages are kind of a thing. Obviously, demand is way up. I know that some of the community has been concerned about rising plant prices, but I will say as somebody who's been in the industry for almost 30 years, plant prices have really been way too low for a really long time. Mm. I don't think people realize how little growers actually make off of years of growing a plant before it gets to you. Right. So I will say that there's some necessary price corrections that have needed to happen. Sure. But if you get into like plant auctions, like some, some of the crazy deep dives, people are paying insane prices for, for plants, like thousands of dollars for like a cutting of a, you know, particular species of monstera. I will wow. tell you as a professional horticulturist, I will never do that. <laughs> I will never do that because it's too risky. You know, those plants can be really tricky to grow. So yes, there's definitely plant inflation, but I think that 
as we get over the next year or two, some of that's going to level out. Right. And it sounds like, like if you have a, some friends who are also interested in, in plants or tiny plants that you could potentially kind of share your plants by dividing them or propagating them and then not have to buy lots of plants. Yeah. Um, if you get my book, plant parenting, I teach you how to do it. That's a great way. I love green giving. I I'm really sort of like holiday consumerism, like makes me itchy, kind of gives me a rash. I I'm really, I just like that consumption of so much stuff around gift giving and holidays. I, I find excessive plants, I think are a great way to give green. And so, yeah. And I, so I definitely encourage that. The only thing I will say is that, you know, be careful when you're mailing or sending plants across state lines, you have to be really careful about what you're sending, make sure it's clean, you know, stuff like that. But I think local plant swaps with friends and other enthusiasts are great. I was actually doing a bunch of plant swaps before the pandemic shut everything down. I hope to do some tiny plant swaps soon when things kind of open up um, in a better way. But yeah, sharing, sharing cuttings or divisions or swapping plants is I think a really awesome way to sustainably support your plant habit. Nice. I think we'll leave it there. Leslie Halleck, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Thanks for having me on. And it was great to visually meet you. You (laughs) Thank you so much to Leslie Halleck for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including photos of the plants that Leslie and I talked about, links to all three of Leslie's books, and more at thetinyhouse.net slash 166. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 166. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.